TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Another edition of Black Hole Sundays. You hear that song, you know what it means. We'll give you something good to head into the weekend here, into the Super Bowl, which, as a Raider fan, you hate it. Everything about it. Don't like it. Don't like the Chiefs being in it. Don't like Tom Brady being in it. Don't like anything about it. I think the Chiefs are going to win. That's just me being realistic. Don't want them to win. Don't want Tom Brady to win another one either. I'm tired of him winning. But in the end, someone has to come out victorious, and I realistically think the Chiefs are going to do it. But that's not what we're going to talk about today, because we got a lot of stuff that happened this week that pertains to the Raiders. At first, we had Gruden on with Chris Collinsworth and Richard Sherman. Gruden got accused of tampering. The league didn't do anything about it, but it does raise an interesting question about Richard Sherman and whether he should be added to the team we had the al davis 30 for 30 we're recording this on a friday this happened on thursday night we can get into that plus the report that the raiders would be in on deshaun watson from vincent bonsignor of the las vegas review journal so we got a lot to discuss today want to make it short and sweet um but let's start out with the tampering quote-unquote from John Gruden the sound courtesy of Chris Collinsworth his podcast appropriately named the Chris Collinsworth podcast which features Richard Sherman and it was actually a really good interview I listened to the entire thing but here is how the podcast started out it was a little awkward the way that Chris Collinsworth phrased everything and put Gruden and Sherman in this position now John not that any of this could be um construed as uh, as sending out a resume or anything but <laughs> it's possible richard's available but i know there's tampering rules out there and i don't want to bring up anything that might create a problem for you because i know you've been you've been fined a few shekels over the years yes i have i've been fined i've been punished very very harshly but uh richard <laughs> sherman uh, if you are a free agent which there is a rumor you are uh, we are looking for an alpha presence in our secondary somebody that can play this hawk three press technique with the read step. Uh, if you're available and interested, maybe you and I can get together at some point off air. Yeah, that, there's a conversation to be had for sure. Um, you know, I am, I am free and available these days, um, fortunately and unfortunately, but uh, that scheme is, you know, that Gus runs um, and he runs it more than anybody else. You know, there are some coaches, you know, that dabble in and dabble out and go man and go zone and, and go quarters and go there. Gus lives in it. You know, Gus lives and dies by an eight-man box. You're not going to be able to run the ball, and we're going to stop the pass. And um, and that's – that's that's 
he's like one of the godfathers of it. You know, it's, it's him, Pete, DQ, you know, Chris Richard, they're all in there. Um, and so you're going to get the originators. So hearing that, first off, I recommend that you do go listen to that episode because hearing Gruden just talk about football in general and how passionate he was, you forget that this dude is a football aficionado. And as mad as you get as these certain coach at these certain coaches like Gruden, like I've you know, I've been mad on this podcast for him not going for it on fourth down, opting to kick the field goal, opting to punt, whatever. Still mad about that Buccaneers game, by the way. That was a total swing in the fourth quarter. But I do think that uh, there's some intrigue here. And to me, Richard Sherman could be a good fit. He could. Right now on Spotrack, the market value dictates him being worth around $7 million a year. I don't know what he wants. I don't know if he wants a one-year deal, if he wants a multi-year deal, whatever. But it's saying that he'd be worth... Maybe $7 million, uh, depending on what the market is, with the salary cap being lowered to what it is. Um, I do think it's something to monitor. Gus Bradley being added as the defensive coordinator. He was their coach with the Legion of Boom when Richard Sherman was at his best. And if you listen to the rest of the podcast, you'll hear how he understands schemes and Gus Bradley, he thinks he's going to do very well over there as Richard Sherman continued, and he had nothing but praise uh, for Bradley. How he's going to be stacking eight in the box—that's also why you should recommend or you should check out this podcast because Sherman does go on to explain what Gus Bradley does, um, so you can get a little insight as to just how he's going to run the defense. He likes to stack eight in the box. He likes to rush four. Um, going to be a lot of pressure on the pass rushers next season, but pertaining to Sherman. Watching him with the 49ers, he was great at the beginning. You know, he was constantly making reads. Even this year, he had a couple of plays which stood out. And toward the end of the season, I don't know if it was him giving up so much as him actually just getting fooled on certain plays. Um, There were multiple times where he just got flat-out beat. But there were other times where he made the appropriate reads— and was able to get an interception out of it. Now, he was out with an injury uh, for a little bit of this year, for a majority of this season, and uh, he was placed on IR. He had a calf strain. No one knew when he was going to be coming back. And ultimately, for me, I think that he would make a great leader, and he could – look, Gruden mentions you need an alpha on the defense. You need someone to buck up these young dudes. But also, when you're looking at the free agent cornerbacks this year, look, they need help at either safety or cornerback. That's 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 clear because you're going to need a replacement for Eric Harris. Uh, he's a free agent this year. I don't think they're going to be re-signing him um, with Jonathan Abram alongside him. I would be fascinated to get Richard Sherman just as the alpha leader for that team because with that defense they got some talent but overall I don't know if they necessarily have that leader and when looking at the free agent cornerbacks I do have another name to point out I don't want to overpay for Richard Sherman for one thing I I, I wouldn't overpay for him again the market dictates that he'd probably be making about seven million uh, for a year's worth of work but another guy who is a free agent this year, he's a couple of years younger, 
and I think that you could get him on a multi-year deal. He still has some talent. He still has some years left in him. He's very smart, and he can also be the leader of this defense. Now, no, he hasn't worked with Gus Bradley in the past like Richard Sherman has, and he wouldn't understand that sort of scheme, but a guy who's still very athletic, and if he doesn't get re-signed by the Arizona Cardinals, Patrick Peterson, who played all 16 games last season compared to Richard Sherman, who only played five, Patrick Peterson is a free agent for the first time in his career. Now, the Cardinals, they got to pay Chandler Jones. They are looking to pay Kenyon Drake, who is uh, their running back this season, who's the young running back. I'll expect they'll want to pay him that money. And with the salary cap going down and with the money that Patrick Peterson could make, he has expressed interest in sticking with the Cardinals. There's no doubt that I think they'd have interest in trying to re-sign him. But if they don't, I would much rather the Raiders go after Patrick Peterson than Richard Sherman. Because not only would you get a guy who could understand Gus Bradley's scheme right away, but you'd also be getting that alpha. Now, again, there is a chance that Peterson isn't available because the Cardinals do re-sign him. Uh, Market value dictates that he'd be worth about $10 million per year, depending on where he goes. But again, just 31 years old, and he's been a perennial pro bowler, an all-pro type of cornerback. If they can manage to get their money on Patrick Peterson as opposed to Richard Sherman, look, if they're going to overpay, I'm, I'm okay with them overpaying for a guy like Patrick Peterson. That's the name that I'd be searching out for. Now, if they did sign Richard Sherman, I wouldn't be mad at that. I wouldn't, because they do need an alpha. John Gruden's absolutely right. When you really read between the lines, it goes to show you where their defense is at. You need a guy who is going to be able to keep Jonathan Abrams' head on straight. You need a cornerback who can teach Damon Arnett how to tackle. And then you need another guy alongside LaMarcus Joyner at the nickel just to make him that much better, because you're already overpaying for LaMarcus Joyner. Patrick Peterson is another name to keep an eye on. Some other free agent quarterbacks out there. DJ Hayden, yikes. <laughs> no, don't want that again. You also got Josh Norman, who was embarrassed by Derrick Henry this season. The joke was that he was going to retire as soon as that game was over, and I thought he did. Jason McCourty out of New England. You could get him on the cheap. He played all 16 games last season. So there are some other veteran corners out there. Um, but Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson would be the top priority. Uh, but I do think they're going to be signing one of these guys. I really do. If you just take a look at the list, there's a, a, a quite a few cheap cornerbacks. And I don't know if New England's going to be signing Jason McCourty again because he wants to stick with his brother, his twin brother. I don't know if Mackenzie Alexander from Cincinnati, who has only paid four year or four million this year, um, he's a veteran cornerback. I don't know if they'd want to do. I don't know if they'd be willing to do that. But Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson are the top two. And if the Cardinals do not re-sign Peterson, I think that that would be an upgrade. And Richard Sherman would be great, though. That's it. That, that, that's all I have to say about that. Richard Sherman would be great because he clearly understands the scheme. But I did think that it was tampering from John Gruden. Now, Chris Collinsworth put him in an awkward position. Sure. 
But how can it not be tampering when you're saying, look, man, if you're available, I'd be willing to take a look at you, man. Like, you know, I think we could have some conversations outside of this podcast. How is that not tampering uh, with what John Gruden did there? So that remains to be seen. Free agents, who knows who they're going to sign. But we will continue to discuss that on on this podcast as the season rolls on. Another piece of news. Vincent Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, he had an article earlier this week. It was regarding Derek Carr, and he used Deshaun Watson's name. And whenever you put Deshaun Watson's name in one of these articles, people are going to read it. I did. I instantly clicked on it. And if you go through it, his reasoning was essentially... Some executives now. Vincent Bonsignore again is—he's very plugged in. He's—it's he, not like these sources are fake. It's not random sources like what we saw happen with the 49ers and Matthew Stafford earlier this offseason. Um, but he has—he's—he's he's credible, and he said multiple executives told him that they think Derek Carr could be worth two first rounders. Then Bonsignore flipped that and said, if they can get two first rounders for Derek Carr. They can stack that on top of the two first-rounders they already have for the next couple of seasons. Then they can offer that to the Houston Texans in order to get Deshaun Watson. But there are a couple of things that were missing for me. Again, Deshaun Watson. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Of course you'd want him. Of course. But the salary cap with where it's at, the amount that you'd have to pay Deshaun Watson, it would make it very tough to have any sustainable success you might be able to get some for the first couple of years but then Jacobs he becomes a free agent you you most likely want to pay him Max Crosby he's an edge rusher a pass rushing specialist and if he only gets better it'd be tough to pay him Cleland Furl all these guys Jonathan Abram I mean there are a lot of guys that you're gonna have to pay and if Deshaun Watson is taking up a majority of your salary cap and your defense has been such an issue in the past, I mean, you wouldn't be able to pay these guys. And it's just that simple. But back to the article, the reports that we've been seeing is out of Houston. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle has mentioned that they'll want at least two first-rounders and at least two defensive starters. And if we are looking at the Clemson connection Cleland Furl and Trayvon Mullen are those two guys that played with Watson one time at Clemson. And if they want some defensive starters, Mullen and Furl can be those two guys because they are, in my opinion, the defenders on that team that have the most upside. I feel like with Max Crosby, we have seen what he can do. Cleland Furl, I think, is still a work in progress, and if he can stay on the field, he's an excellent run stopper, and he looked like he was making some progress toward the end of the season. Um, I think that they would want those two guys at least as well as the first-rounders for Derek Carr, and that's something I didn't see mentioned in this article was the fact that you'd have to give up some of your defensive pieces. I don't know if the Raiders would be inclined to do that. And on the flip side... Deshaun Watson gets to choose where he wants to go. You know, he has the no-trade clause. That means Houston, they can say, hey, this certain team is giving us an offer. We want to accept it. What do you think? There is always a chance 
where Deshaun Watson says, look, if Furl and Mullen are involved in this deal, I'm good. I don't even want to go over there. I'm, 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 I don't want to play for that team if the only teammates that I've played with once at Clemson aren't going to be at that uh, on that team, then I don't want to go over there. Because I think he would weigh his options and understand that with these other teams, he would most likely have more success elsewhere if they didn't trade away certain players. So I think overall this report, I think there is some validity to it, and it's interesting that they mentioned it. But here's the other thing. In that podcast that we already played, the Chris Collinsworth podcast with Richard Sherman and John Gruden, the tampering is what made the headlines, the beginning of that podcast. But listen in even more. He mentions that Derek Carr has mastered his offense. There is no skepticism in his mind about Derek Carr as his quarterback in the future to me. If you hear him talk, there's no uncertainty. I've heard it with other head coaches before. You know, you can look all around the league and they say, well, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good quarterback. He understands. Uh, he, he's given us a, the best chance to win this year, but you can always look to upgrade, blah, blah, blah. John Gruden, it didn't seem like in his mind that there was any doubt that Derek Carr is the QB for him. So I think there's a lot of factors that play into it. It's the no-trade clause, the draft picks, the players that would have to be involved in it, and John Gruden, who has a stranglehold of the team. Mike Mayock's the GM, but John Gruden's calling the shots. It sounds like John Gruden just does not want another quarterback to work with on the off chance that they just don't understand his offense right away. So there's there's my reasoning for that article. It was interesting. It made for a fun week. But I just don't know if there's going to be any sort of move like that made. There's, it's much more likely that they signed Richard Sherman to a free agent deal as opposed to a quarterback change being made for this Raider team. And besides, the window for the Chiefs, I don't know how long it's going to be open for. They're going to have Mahomes for a while, and when you have Mahomes, that's always going to give you the best chance to win. They signed Chris Jones to a long-term deal. They signed Travis Kelsey, but Travis Kelsey's getting older. It's going to be interesting to keep an eye out for them, but this is a long game, you know? And the Raiders could make the playoffs through the expanded playoff teams and, you know, possibly through the wild card. But while these teams are on the up and up, you need to have your core. And if Derek Carr just doesn't do it for you, then you might have to wait another year and draft a quarterback and start from square one. It's a tough place to be in. It really is with where they're at because I do think that they expected to be better than 8-8, eight and eight, and I think they expected things to be looking a little more promising. And also, it seems like there's some dysfunction within the team, and it doesn't seem like they know who their leader is right now. So... There's a lot to go around with this Raider team. I mean, imagine if you're Deshaun Watson seeing that article, seeing that report that Nelson Aguilar told the locker room after the Dolphins game where they lost that this team sucks, and he yelled at all the players. Doesn't seem like that's much of a destination that I'd want to go to if I were a quarterback. But I'm also not a quarterback. I'm not a not a franchise guy. I'm just a... Just a host with a microphone here. Last thing, the Al Davis 30 for 30. I got to watch it again 
to really get a grasp on everything because there was a lot. Um, first off, the deep fakes with the faces freaked me out. <laughs> Howard, or excuse me, I, I keep on wanting to call him Howard Cosell. Pete Rozelle and Al Davis, they both made it so they were looked like they were in Allegiant Stadium. And it reminded me of the Irishman or, you know, Captain America when they put a fake body on Chris Evans' face or Chris Evans' face on another body, on a, on a small body. It creeped me out. <laughs> Those are my overall first thoughts. Second thing, it was fascinating especially for me as a 27-year-old Raider fan, it was fascinating seeing this story play out on video because you can read as many uh, stories as you can. You could read as many articles and all of that, and I've tried to because I feel like Al Davis is just one of the most iconic figures in all of sports, if not the most iconic figure in sports, and, uh, and he changed the game. He took what he wanted. He wanted to win at everything in life. You don't really make people like that anymore. He said, you know, starting out, he was with Syracuse, and he wasn't exactly good enough for the football team, but he hung around. He was almost like a spy, is how he put it. And he stuck around, and he had goals. And he did whatever it took to reach those goals. And I had nothing but respect for what he did Um because he just tried to do what he felt was best for the organization. Did he necessarily do it in the in the right way where he's kissing everybody's ass? No, but he did it the way that he wanted. And for any human to do that, I do have a lot of respect for them. Um, didn't even remember the whole thing with L.A. and them possibly becoming the Irwindale Raiders. Now, the city had paid him $10 million in order to build a stadium, but then it didn't get done, and he really just kept those $10 million and stuck where he wanted to be. All he wanted to do was build an entirely new stadium for the Raiders, a state-of-the-art facility. Luxury boxes were a big key here. Luxury boxes were a constant term used within the organization, and... I found it interesting toward the end how he'd been waiting 40 years and never got that stadium built, and finally it was built in Las Vegas. And as much as I hated the move from Oakland to Vegas, we can get into all the semantics of it and and you know all the politics and how Mark Davis shouldn't have had them move, and we can get into all of that, but it's it's like getting into the Khalil Mack trade. It's like beating a dead horse. There's no point in even having that argument anymore. What happened, happened, and this documentary kind of justified it, and I thought it was cool. It's just the most—it's it's a story that's one of the most misunderstood within— I think Raider fans' eyes, especially ones for me who are of my age. It's crazy to think about it. I mean, six years later, at 33 years old, if I were to become a commissioner of a sport like Al Davis was or Pete Rozelle when they were commissioners of the AFL or the NFL, there's just so much more to the story and how he was battling every owner and they all hated him. It was fascinating to watch. And just seeing all the highlights of the old Raider teams, you can't get enough of them. You can't. Them moving to L.A., but it not going through in 1980. They ended up winning the Super Bowl anyway, and then in 1982 it got approved. It was, there was a lot. But here's the issue that I had 
why didn't anyone talk? Why didn't they let any coaches, players, people involved with Al Davis? Because they made it seem like it was just him making all these decisions, which it was, which it was, but he also had people working for him as well. And I would have loved more of an inside scoop on that. And it made me think that there was some other stuff going on with this 30 for 30 uh, that isn't really talked about. It, It made me think that someone was controlling the narrative, a.k.a. Mark Davis. I think that he had full control over the content that was going to be let out because, look, if if other people were involved in this, let's just say, I don't know, any players at all, Howie Long, Matt Millen, Phil Valipiano, these guys love talking about the Raiders, man, and you, you hear it anytime. Working in radio for as long as I've worked in it for quite a few years now, these guys love talking about those old days. I had an interview with Tom Flores earlier this year. He loves talking about them. Why weren't they allowed on the documentary? You're probably thinking, well, they just didn't want to talk. No, I don't believe that. They love talking about it so much that I would assume that they just weren't allowed to talk about it. It just didn't do much for me as far as the the entire story being told. We heard it through... The deep fakes of Al Davis and in in Pete Rozelle, sure, but we didn't hear any player perspective, anything like that. And I wish that we could have gotten that because that's what makes Thirty for Thirty so cool. Is when you get those talking heads, when you get, you know, bad boys with the Detroit Pistons, when you get all the players talking. I mean, they did a segment on George Atkinson and his hit on Lynn Swan back in the 70s, and you couldn't even get George Atkinson or Lynn Swan on. It, it just wasn't the direction that the 30 for 30 wanted to go, and I have a feeling that they were just afraid someone would speak out against what Al Davis was doing and would have had some controversial uh, terms because what he was doing was very polarizing. And I don't know if every single player like Lester Hayes, for example, who was on camera saying, it doesn't matter where we move, we're Raiders, we'll play for whoever. I don't know if every player felt that same way. And I would have loved to have get, to have gotten someone who was on maybe the opposite side, someone who wasn't okay uh, with the things that Al Davis was doing with the team because it was very, very controversial with what he was doing. But nonetheless, that doesn't take away from the fact that Al Davis is one of the great football minds He was a visionary. He had a goal. Did he reach that goal in its entirety? No. Did he make some enemies along the way? Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that he is an absolute legend and the Raiders wouldn't be who they are without him. (laughs) Right at the beginning, he said, no, they were black and gold before. I'm I'm not having no black and gold. What are we, the Steelers? We're not doing that. I changed it to the silver and black. Like an army. <laughs> it's like uh, things like that. I, and I do love the accent. I do love Al Davis's accent. It was great. And me being, again, 27 years old, the first, the first view of Al Davis that I had was his firing of Lane Kiffin with the overhead projector press conference. Because, you know, when you're young, you just watch the sport. You don't really understand GMs. You don't understand owners and how it all works. And that was my first introduction to him. It's just, 
I hired a young head coach. He was dynamic. I thought he was going to be innovative. And it turns out I hired a professional liar. And he did his whole thing. It's just, I didn't know just how much of an impact he had on football society. And as you grow older, you start to learn that Al Davis and up till his passing in 2011, um, you realize the impact that he did have on the NFL. And then you see all these other teams, they're moving all over, relocating, realizing there's better business in different locations. He set the tone, hiring Art Shell as the first black head coach, uh, 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 hiring Tom Flores as, and making him the first Hispanic head coach to win a Super Bowl. He did some groundbreaking things. I just wish the documentary was handled a little bit differently. But that's just me. Would love to hear your thoughts. You can hit me up on Twitter, at NiceGuySteven. You can hit me up on Instagram, at Slangford2. Or, of course, you can hit me up on my show, on 95.7 The Game, on the pregame show. I'm on there from 5 to 6 every Monday through Friday. Feel free to hit me up. I would love to hear any of your thoughts if you are a Raider fan and you wanted to uh, just share something about the doc. I will mention it on this podcast. But that's going to do it for me. Those are the only initial thoughts I have. I got to watch that thing over again just so I could really understand and, and grasp all the little details about the 30 for 30. These are mostly just my initial thoughts. Um, but thank you so much for tuning into this episode. New episodes every Friday. Try to enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy it with any family and friends as long as you're in a small bubble in this pandemic. And let's just be grateful that there actually is a Super Bowl when, you know, a few months ago we didn't even know if sports were going to be existing when the NBA suspended its season back in March of 2020. So thank you again. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe, everybody. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 